our kids can head back to be with the team in Transformation Station. Thankful for all of our workers uh, back there with the kids today, or I should say down in the club. Uh, that's, that's what I used to say, we were in the club back there with the kids. Now they're down there uh, with the kids. Um, I'd like to invite the rest of you to open uh, your copy of God's life-giving word to the Gospel of John. Uh, we'll be in chapter 1 this morning. So um, if you're using one of the Bibles we provided uh, there in the back, uh, it'll be page 886. 886 of those um, Bibles we provide for you. And um, what I want to do is I want to read the text and, and then just get, get right into it. But uh, we, we chose the, the Gospel of John uh, kind of back about a year ago to say, okay, we, what we want to do as a church, uh, we want to take just a deep dive into the person uh, of Christ, the life of Christ. And uh, we did this a couple of years ago through the Gospel of Luke, one of my favorite Gospels. And, uh, but the Gospel of John is just a, a, a potent uh, look at who Jesus is. Uh, so it's really important when we're talking to people about Christianity, um, we're talking to them more than just about a way of life, okay? More than just a few kind of wise sayings that we can kind of attach uh, to our lives and kind of help us through the day. Although Christianity is really not less than that, it's just that it's so much more than that. And it's about a person, uh, Jesus Christ, and who he is, uh, as these songs have uh, reminded us of this morning. So uh, what I want to do is I want to read from John uh, chapter 1, starting in verse 35. I'll read through the end of the chapter, verse 51. And uh, then we'll have some fun breaking this down together today, okay? Uh, So here we go. Um, God, would you open our eyes to see uh, beautiful things in your word. Lord, help us to understand how we can respond as you lead us. In Christ's name, amen. John chapter 1, verse 35. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you 
when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe you will see greater things than these? And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Now, I want to just kind of bring you into my world just for a moment here, okay? Um, now, now, probably most of you realize, like, these, these uh, sermons, some people want to call them talks. I still want to call them sermons because I'm not just up here, like, giving some advice. Like, I'm kind of, like, saying on behalf of, like, God giving me this assignment. Like, this is what God's saying here. Um, so it doesn't make my words God. It just means I'm, I'm speaking on behalf of, of what God's word says to, to hopefully explain it uh, well and then to, you know, uh, expose the relevance of it for our lives. And, and by the way, just so you know, like when I'm up here doing my thing, pr- preaching, uh, if you're still comfortable with that term, I am. Um, I'm preaching to myself as much as, you know, to everyone in the room, right? And hopefully you guys, and those of you that know me understand these things. Um, but, 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 but what we do is we don't expose the relevance of the word. Uh, we, don't, we don't make the Bible relevant, okay? We just expose the relevance that it already holds for our lives, which is a really cool uh, thing. Uh, but 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 as we as we kind of uh, dive into the word each week, one of one of my kind of uh, dilemmas is like, well, how do, how do I present this? You know what I'm saying? Um, because um, there 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 is like one meaning in the text. Okay, so we can't make the Bible mean what we want it to mean. It's a kind of a simple way to understand that. Um, but there are many ways that we can kind of unpack it and unfold it as we work our way through. So again, like I'm taking you behind the curtains here. Don't do this every week. Just kind of explaining, you know, kind of what goes into the process of preparing a sermon. So, so, so listen, um, we probably could have gone about this in a thousand different ways this week. I mean, there is so much in this passage and all the dialogue and the people and the characters and the, and the scenes and the changing of days, right? There is a lot in here. Um, so, but what I... What I, I just, uh, you know, as I was praying through and preparing, I just felt like what we should do is we should take three statements from Jesus and drill down on each one of them uh, where he asks a question um, in verse uh, 39. Um, actually, it's verse 38. Um, and then he has two statements. Okay, so, so, so the first question he asks is this, what are you seeking? And this is the question that I want to pose to all of us today. Well, what are you seeking? And then he has two statements that are really invitations, all right? Number one, come and see. And then number two, follow me. Simple as that, okay? So we're going to take those three statements from Jesus, and we're going to work our way through this passage. And what we're going to see is this, and I love this about Jesus, okay? Jesus invites all people all people to discover who he is and then follow him. All right, Jesus invites us all. No matter, no matter what your background may be today, and no matter why you joined us uh, this, this morning, uh, whether maybe you're curious, whether you just brought, came with a friend, all right, maybe you just love this as the highlight of your week, uh, no matter what position you are uh, in life here today, uh, this, the same invitation goes out to all of us including uh, me. So let's break this down uh, with those kind of three uh, thoughts, all right? So, so number one, uh, Jesus asked these two, uh, what are you seeking? 
Now, Jesus was probably around uh, 30 years old. Okay, Luke 3, 22, uh, 23 says that. Um, and, and some scholars believe if you want to kind of really zero in, he, he was maybe 33 years old at this point. And his public ministry has just been launched, okay? We saw that last week with John the Baptist saying, look, um, there is one on the way, all right? He is the Messiah. He is the one that was promised that is going to restore all things. And he is the one that you need to pay attention to. He is the one sent from God that will uh, free your life like it has never been freed before. And so uh, Jesus is, is launching this kind of public ministry with the words of John and his own baptism. And now this movement that Jesus started 2,000 years ago, where we've seen uh, millions and millions of people jump on board with who Jesus really is, it all started with just a few people. And here's the story right here for us in John chapter uh, 1. Now, uh, this was, okay, we all kind of have these weeks in our life that are just, you know, kind of, kind of bananas, right? Bonkers. It's like, man, it's just one of those weeks. Like, how was your week? It was just one of those weeks, all right? So, so some weeks are just different than others, okay? Uh, some weeks are really action-packed. And this was not a bad week. Okay? This was like a bonkers bananas week. But it was a week that Jesus just had a lot going on, okay? Because we saw uh, at the beginning uh, of of our passage last week that these, these Jewish leaders, they were wondering who John the Baptist is. And John the Baptist says, like, I am not the Christ, all right? I am not the one that everyone is waiting for and looking for. Uh, but then the next day, all right, Jesus comes on the scene and uh, he says, behold, the Lamb of God, this is the one who you are waiting for. And now we get to the next day. If you saw that in verse 35, the next day again, John, he's echoing what he just said the day before, except this time it's not to the masses. It's just to a couple of his disciples, all right? One is named Andrew, and we can probably safely assume, I think, along with a couple of other scholars, all right, that, that the other one is the gospel writer himself, the beloved disciple, John, okay? He's not too fond of kind of putting his name in lights, all right? So he's kind of humble about it, and he says there's another disciple who was there. So I think it's, I think it's John. And so John the Baptist goes from pointing all people to Christ to now just saying to a couple of his disciples, behold the Lamb of God. And he was, if you notice here, the translators, I think, probably do an accurate job for us. In verse 36, there is like an exclamation point on that because he is amazed by who Jesus is. He is a little bit excited that the Messiah, who they had longed for for centuries, is finally on the scene, all right? So uh, when we get a little excited around here at Redemption Hill, that's why, okay? Um, so so uh, Andrew and John followed Jesus, and, and they're like physically following him. They're like, Jesus is on his way. He's just walked by. John the Baptist says, behold the Lamb of God. And so uh, Andrew and John just start following Jesus. And here's the picture. They're just, just walking, and, and Jesus turns around, and he says, what are you seeking? And one thing that I love about the gospel uh, of John, a lot of times he's going to give us kind of uh, the, the physical sense, the, the, the natural, literal sense of of the moment, okay? So Jesus asked a sincere question, like, hey, guys, what, what are you up to? Why are you, why are you follow me, following me here, like physically? Um, and yet I think John is wanting to press in a little bit to get us as readers of his gospel um, to, to see that Jesus is probably asking them more than that. 
Like, is, is there something uh, more than meets the eye to just, like, you've just kind of chosen to, to, to follow me here? Like, is there something deeper going on that you want to find out about me? What are you seeking? What are you after? And I'd love to ask you that question this morning. What, what are you seeking? What are you after in life? What is driving you? What are you holding out above everything else? What are you hoping in? What do you hope to find in Christ? What are you seeking? Andrew and John say, well, where, where, where are you staying? And what does Jesus say? He drops this kind of first, um, this first kind of um, you know, invitation to them, come and see. And so it seems here that, that Andrew and John, they really want to know Jesus. They really want to know him. They, they arrive, and it's the 10th hour, which means about 4 p.m. If you read carefully and kind of look at the footnotes, it's down there probably in your Bible, 4 p.m., all right, which means it's nearing the end of the day, all right? So this is kind of, you know, just how it's unfolding. They, they, they probably stayed there with Jesus. And, and what I love about the story is it doesn't take them very long to discover who Christ is. It doesn't take them very long to say, you know what? We have found him. It is true. This is the Messiah. And not only that, and I can learn a lesson here from Andrew. Not only that, it's also, hey, not only have we found him, this didn't take very long, but it's like he is so good that it doesn't take me very long to just go and want to tell someone else about that. Um, And he tells his brother Peter, and we'll get to that in a few moments. But, but as we think about this account and, and how, it, how it didn't take them, them long to discover Christ, I think we can learn some lessons here. Because if, if you're like me, you, you care about the people around you and not just what they think of you, okay, we're just like discrediting that and kind of throwing that in the back seat totally. But, but hopefully, if, if you know Christ, hopefully your greatest concern is not what people think about you, but, but what they think about him. And so their, their, their aim now has changed to, to want, like John the Baptist was pointing others to Jesus, to, to point others to him as well. And so... Um, what, what they do is, is, is they start to, start to share, start to, to tell others about Christ. And, and, and listen, I, I understand in our, in our day and age, um, it's probably, I get it, it's probably going to take most people, all right, especially in greater Boston, uh, more than a few hours if you just sit down with them and you tell them a, a little bit about Jesus. We can actually share the gospel in, in just a few moments, the, the, the nuts and bolts of it, uh, enough for someone to get it and the light bulbs to go off, and yet we understand that in most cases it's going to take uh, a number of conversations for someone to get there. There are all kinds of barriers that kind of uh, keep people from really seeing who Christ is and then choosing to, to follow him. So some of these are intellectual barriers. Um, some of them are, are, are matters of understanding. Uh, some of them are social or cultural barriers. Some are familial barriers. Right? Like, What is my family going to think about all of this? Um, some are spiritual barriers. You know, It's like Jesus is call, would, would actually call me to live this kind of life, and I'm just not ready for that yet. Uh, so there are there all kinds of kind of barriers that will um, make people resist coming to Jesus. But, but here's what I love. As, as, 
a pastor who gets to see this happen. What I love is to see that over time, those barriers slowly erode. And in some cases, they just topple over very quickly as God shines his light onto someone's understanding in their heart. And so ever since we moved to to Medford five years ago to start this church, right, from scratch, like three families, single young ladies, seven adults, like, God, we want you to do something great in this city. Um, One of the the verses that God brought to our minds and hearts uh, pretty early in the process as we were reading through the book of Acts was Acts chapter 26, um, verse uh, 29, okay? And so what happens here, just to give it the story real quick, uh, Paul is, is defending himself before the governor Festus and King Agrippa, and he's telling them uh, why he's on trial, and he's basically just sharing his story, sharing his, his uh, testimony, if you will, his spiritual journey about how he didn't used to love Jesus. In fact, he persecuted people who followed Jesus, but then uh, God showed him who he is, and now he is uh, pointing others to Christ. And, and at one point, um, uh, Festus says, like, Paul, your great learning has, has made you crazy. Like, like, how can you actually believe these things? And so Paul doesn't answer Festus, but he turns to Agrippa and he says, look, Agrippa, like, you've studied the law and the prophets. Are not these things true? And Agrippa in verse 28 says this. He says, um, in such a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And I love what Paul says. He says in return this, um, whether short or long, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but all who hear my voice this day would become such as I am, except for these chains. In other words, like I don't want people to become a physically a prisoner of Rome, but you know what I really want? I really want them to come, become like me on the inside, a prisoner of Christ, a follower of Christ. And so whether it happens in a very short time or whether it happens uh, over a a long period of time, Paul's heart is that people would come to know who Jesus is. And this is what happens here as as Andrew and and John encounter Christ. It, It just takes a short time in this case. And we should hope for that. We should pray for that uh, amongst those that we care about. So, so let, me just, let me just again pause and ask you this, this one question. What are you seeking? I mean, as a, as a pastor, I understand that, that people kind of explore different religions for different reasons. People explore Christianity for different reasons. Maybe they're looking just for a better life. They're looking for kind of some band-aids on their circumstances. They're looking for more harmonious relationships. And, and listen, God, through Christ, he provides more than we can ever imagine. But the greatest gift that God gives us is the gift of himself. So what are we seeking? Are we seeking God? Listen to this. We're going to see this through the gospel of John so many different times. People come to Christ for what they can receive from him, but they don't really want him. But but Christ wants us to come because he is good. He is the treasure. He is far better than anything we could ever hope for in this life. What are you seeking? That's the first question Jesus poses to us this morning. But then we find the invitation. We've already touched on it here. In verse 39, he says to them, we'll, we'll come and you will see. Come and come and kind of this invitation to discovery. 
Now, um, Marcia and I had some friends in last weekend who were visiting Boston. Now, I, I know that, I mean, like, how many of you have had some friends or family just that are from outside of Boston, come into Boston uh, to visit recently? Anybody? Can you raise your hand just so I can see? Okay, that's, that's probably at least half of us, all right? And so one of the things that, that, that is, is fun is just to say, okay, look, if we get to show these people our great city, then we just have a blank slate to say, okay, like, what are we going to do? So we picked them up from the airport. We drove down to the Boston Common Garage, right? A little pricey on the, on the parking, okay? But it was just efficiency this time. All right, so we, we park at the common garage, we walk through the public garden, okay, we go up Boylston, show them Copley Square, isn't it amazing still, the Hancock, the Trinity Church, public uh, library, Have, if you've never been to the public library, okay, shame on you, all right, just need to get some things straight, all right, you need to go up in there, go up the, the you know, the, the staircases into that room that like is probably in the movies or should be in the movies, it's amazing, you can study up there and stuff, um, and so we, we, we took them in there, uh, we hung out, they're foodies, all right, so we, you know, we got some good food around here. Here, right? We got our Italian, we got our seafood, we got every cuisine under the sun. We went to this place in the South End called Myers and Chang, right? I'm not like trying to, you know, they're not paying me to say this, but I'm just, it was really, really uh, good. Um, we, we showed them around Medford, and this is our city. We took them up on Tufts Library. Can I get a what's up? Tufts, woo All right, so man, a beautiful view of the city, which was kind of a different angle from, from the Prudential Tower. We took them up in the, in the Prude just to see the city around. We were just trying to give them a vision of how great Boston truly is. In fact, um, you know, we might, maybe, maybe, you know, we might have gone to a Celtics game, you know what I'm saying? Just you got to, you know, you got to show them a good time. It's a good, when your friends come in, it's a great excuse to have some fun, right? So, so I went to a Celtics game, and, and what was the point? What was the point of all of that? We wanted to give them a taste. It wasn't exhaustive, or right? It wasn't confident, but it, just a taste of what a great city this is. It was an invitation to discovery. And this is what Jesus is inviting the disciples to. It's an invitation to discovery, to find out how great he is. And, and this, this brother, Peter, okay, Simon Peter, um, he made a startling discovery from his very first introduction to Jesus. Look back at verse 42 and what goes on here, right? What, is, what, is, what, what happens here? It says that he brought him, okay, Andrew brought his brother Peter to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him, And he said, you are Simon, the son of John. You will be called Peter. Actually, you'll be called Cephas, which means Peter, okay, in a different language. So, so like, just as a a newsflash right this morning, like, people don't do that, all right? Like, uh, (laughs) people don't just, like, hey, how you doing? You are are Simon, the son of John. You're going to be called Peter. Am I right? I mean, like, my, my friend Chris, all right? Chris, uh, you know, new to Redemption Hill, came to Next a few weeks ago. So can you imagine if, if I went up to Chris, like, Chris, oh, you're Chris. You are Chris, the son of Ty. You shall be called Josiah. Like, who? Like, who are you? People don't do that, but, but, but someone who has authority will do that. And what a, as, just as a side note, okay, this is one of the things I love about Jesus. Jesus was fully God. This is the argument of Christianity, like fully God, but also fully man. So he had, he had friendships, and he gave nicknames. 
It wasn't just for Peter, okay? It's like, you know, the sons of thunder, Barnginus and, um, you know, uh, Didymus, the, the twin. Okay, so like he had all these nicknames for his disciples. And so, you know, if, if I give you a nickname, it's because I love you, right? Now, and even if you don't like it, I'm sorry. But, you know, it's just kind of part of friendship. We give each other nicknames. This is what Jesus was a real person. He was giving out nicknames. But, but it's so much more than that, okay? What do we learn from Jesus giving Simon the name Peter? Three things. Number one, uh, we understand that Jesus has sovereign authority. Jesus sees what no one else can see, even Peter. And so out of his sovereign authority, he sees what, who, who Peter not only is but will become. And so he gives him this name, Peter. Um, number two, and this is good, uh, Jesus desires personal intimacy with his friends. Like he, he really wants close friendship. He really wants a close relationship. If you're a parent here today, um, you know something about uh, kind of the painstaking process um, that is naming your children, right? I mean, maybe some people just get that kind of, it's written in the sky, this is their name, had it since I was like five years old. If I ever have kids, this is what I'm going to name them. All right, but it just did not work out that way for Marsha and I all three times. And can I, like, anybody can identify with that? Like, it's just a process. And why, why is it a process? Because this is, this is a big deal, Right? They're going to have this name for the, for the rest of your life. And you love this, this child. You want them to, you know, to, as they're part of your family, to, to appreciate the name that you have been uh, given them. Well, Jesus, Jesus hands out names. And it's not, it's not just to Peter, by the way. When we, when we journeyed as a church in the season of Lent, leading up to Easter, um, some of us at Redemption Hill were, were led just to give up certain things with Lent. The church has practiced this for centuries. And so we gave up a few things maybe um, so that we could receive more of God, focus more on him. And so as, as God led, uh, you know, I gave up a, a, an item or two uh, in my life uh, so that I could focus on him in some new ways. And so one of the things that he led me to do uh, was to kind of uh, reignite a, a discipline and a desire for meditating on the word with a, the goal of memorizing it, okay? And so uh, one of the, the passages of scripture that he led me to were, was um, Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. These are seven letters that Jesus um, writes through. Through John, same writer here of the Gospel of John, um, to seven churches that are scattered throughout um, Asia. And in one of those verses, listen to what, what, it, what he says there, okay? Revelation 2, verse 17. This is, this is coming, all right? This is coming. If you're in Christ, this is coming for you. This is, this is what he says. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Peter had his moment. We will all have our moment with Jesus. So intimate that no one else knows that name except for you and him. Amazing. Amazing. Christianity is intensely personal. We do not worship a God that is detached off in the clouds that doesn't care about us, but we have a God who sent his very son um, so that he would take on flesh like us, become like you and me. 
so that he can identify with us in every way. And, and we even see this level of intimacy um, between Christ and those who follow him. But then, but then finally, thirdly, um, Jesus also sees what we will become. He's not only absolutely sovereign, he can do whatever he wants, including giving us names. He doesn't only want this personal intimacy with us, but he actually sees the people that he wants to make us into. And so if you, if you read uh, these gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what you're going to find is that Peter is anything but a rock. I mean, this guy, this guy was bombastic, man. He was a loud mouth. He overstepped his bounds. He didn't always trust Jesus. Sometimes he's denying him. Often anything but a rock. But, but, but Jesus sees something that Peter doesn't see. He sees who he's going to make him into as he places his life in the hands of Christ. And so if we fast forward to Acts chapters 1 and 2 and beyond, we find Peter the rock proclaiming who Christ is. And he, on his words, the foundations of the church are being built because this is who Christ made him to be. So listen, as you get in with Christ, as you come and see who he is, he sees things in you that you don't even see and he wants to make you into the person that you're not even uh, there yet. Quite amazing indeed. So that is the the first uh, come and see. Jesus says, come and see. You want to see what I'm saying? Come and see. And I'm going to give you a lot more than just my kind of uh, address here. I'm going to tell you about who I am. But that's not the only come and see in this passage, okay? There is another come and see. And we saw it from uh, the, uh, the early disciple Philip, okay? Jesus said to Philip in verse 43, what? Follow me. And then Philip turns around and he finds his friend Nathaniel. And he says, we found him. And, and, and Nathaniel's like, you got to be kidding me. Like, Nazareth, really? Like, no way. And, and what does Philip say to Nathaniel? Come and see. Come and see if, if this is not true. And what I love about this narrative is John was a really creative writer. He was a very good writer. And so he builds this all the way through where you have John the Baptist pointing to Jesus and then Andrew and presumably John follow Christ. Then you have Andrew going to his brother Peter, and he's saying, look, we found him. Come and see and follow him. And then now we have Philip going to Nathaniel. He's doing the very same thing. He's saying, look, we found him. Now come and see. There's, there's a consistent from one person to another pointing to who Christ is. And this is how it goes down every single time. People come to God because God uses other people to point them to who he is. Another way we can say it is God pursues people, and that's how it works. Okay, God is pursuing us. When we never lifted a finger and eye toward him, he has pursued us in the person of Christ. And one way that we know that is because God pursues people through people. So that also means we're, we're all on the hook here. We all have a responsibility. Like if, if we have, listen to this, this is so good. If, if we have behold, if we have beheld, there we go. 
good grammar. Um, if we have beheld who Jesus is, and we really understand, we really get it, uh, then, then the natural impulse, the natural reflex of our hearts is going to be to want to bring others into seeing who he is. Everyone is coming because of someone else's witness. This is how it worked with Andrew and Peter. This is how it worked with Philip and Nathaniel. And, and I love Nathaniel's honesty here. I mean, I, I don't think, okay, you can just argue about it if you want after the survey. Like, I don't think Nathaniel was being a jerk, all right, for lack of a better term. Like, can anything good come from Nazareth, all right? Um, this was just an honest question, okay? They did not expect the Messiah to come from Nazareth, all right, and not to mention, it's just an insignificant little town in Israel's culture. It would not have amounted to hardly anything. And so what I love, though, about Philip is, is what? He doesn't, he doesn't get into a debate with Nathaniel. All right, he doesn't have to like, feel like he has to go and do his homework. I'm going to come up with 15 irrefutable points about Nazareth to kind of convince Nathaniel. You know what I'm saying? That's 15, I counted while I was talking. All right. What it, he just says, come and see. Simple invitation. Come and see. And, and, and I, I probably would have gone away and said, man, what are the 15 points? I've got to convince this person. And instead, why not just say, hey, this is what I see. Come and see if you see what I see. Come and see. Would you, would you just be all right with like maybe reading, you know, some of the scripture? Come and see. Or maybe it's, hey, let's go watch this movie together. And oh, by the way, I'm not talking about the Jesus film. All right, I'm just talking about go to AMC, watch a movie together, and talk about the themes that are in the movie, the story, and, and, and to see, hmm, um, how, does, how would you answer this brokenness in this movie? What, what about this theme about, oh, justice? We're talking about orphan care today. Justice, like, how do, why, do, why does anybody care about justice? We can invite people to come and see in a, in a thousand different ways. We are pointers to Christ. And so let me ask you, if, if you have discovered who Jesus is, how intently are you? about pointing others to him? How, how intent are you uh, to, to be about pointing others to Christ? Is this something that you deeply care about? Like, like just, does it ever keep you up at night? And if I'm being honest most of the time I'd have to say, I care, but not that much. And I'm just asking God to change that in me, right? I'm just like, God, change that in me. Like, keep me up at night. Let that be what is preeminent in my mind because you were so awesome and glorious that I want other people to behold how awesome and glorious you are. Because God pursues people through people. Listen, we don't, have to, we don't have to kind of complicate this, all right? One of the most simple observations from this passage is that it is friends bringing friends to Christ. 
It's a brother pointing another brother to like, so, so yes, like the gospel is for all people and I care about every single person that's on the train. And if I could tell them all, and it, you know, like I, I would want to do that. Um, but, but just as a starting point, like what about the coworker that you know really well? Grab a lunch, get to know them, talk about these things in a natural way with patience and, and grace and yes, boldness. Like we, 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 Seek to point them to who Christ is. One of my prayers for this church, our church, and, and this is, we, we went on an elder retreat. This is our pastors went on a retreat back at the beginning of last month. This was about a month ago to the day. And it was, yeah, October 6th, we asked this question. Um, what is your greatest personal prayer need? Which just is a great question to ask one another. We all have different things going on in life. Um, but then the second question was, uh, what is your most audacious prayer for our church? And so here it is. I'm just going to put it out there. And some of you are going to say, like, that doesn't sound too audacious, Tanner. Like, you need to, you need to be a better leader. Okay, this may be so, all right? That's fine. You can, you can tell me that any time you want. I do need to be a better leader. But, but here, here it is. God, would you, would you bring 35 people through our collective witness to become new followers of Christ this year. It doesn't seem like much. But I can tell you it would be more than we've ever seen in a year before. So I want to know who's in on that. Like, who would just be willing to kind of put that one on your prayer list? Who would be willing to kind of make that a priority of prayer over this next year? Who's willing to say, I'll step out in faith to pray about that. I'll step out in faith to get outside of my comfort zone, to exercise some boldness, some love, so that other people can be pointed to Christ. Surely not all of our friends are going to see what we see, but surely if we would open our mouths in love that many of them would see what we see in Christ. Friends point friends to Jesus. And listen, we don't have to be like, we don't have to be overbearing about it. I know we're all intimidated because we don't want to step on people's toes. Like, like here's just a little tip. One thing that I do often, whether I'm like barely met the person and we kind of get into a spiritual conversation, which happens, you know, um, or it's like a a lifelong friend. Here's what I do. I say like, look, um, here's what I believe about Christ, but I fully understand that I can't make you believe what I believe. Like if I could just snap my fingers and it was a done deal, I would snap them. Here we go. And everything's good. That's not how it works. I mean, this is, a, this is a personal decision between that person and God. And so we all have to come to terms with who God is on our own. And yet we all come uh, to believe what we believe and see the world how we see it because we have been influenced by those around us. That is true as much for the atheist as it is for the Christian. So uh, what are you seeking Come and see. And then these last two powerful words that will be unpacked as we go throughout this gospel. Follow me. Follow me. This is what Jesus says to Philip in verse 43. He found Philip and said to him, follow 
me. Now, uh, just so you know, Jesus' practice of calling his followers uh, ran counter to the contemporary practices of that day where disciples would kind of opt for who they thought was the best teacher, who the best rabbi was, and then the disciples would kind of go and attach themselves to that rabbi. But what we find in Jesus is that he is actually going and attaching himself to would-be followers, disciples. And again, this is just a picture of the gospel of grace. God pursues us when we weren't pursuing him. And what he extends is this invitation to follow him. Follow him. So, so what does it look like to follow? On the one hand, we have to get this. We've been talking about grace. Grace is receiving what we don't deserve. It's unmerited favor. Um, We see this in the Gospel of John. We can never do anything to earn our way to God. Uh, Jesus will be talking to a Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, and he'll say this. If you knew what? The gift. If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. For whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, he will never be thirsty again. So this is a free gift. To follow is a gift that is absolutely free. And at the same time, Jesus is saying, look, if, 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 if you want to follow me, it has to be an all-out commitment of your life. So we'll, we'll get there in John chapter 6, but when Jesus is saying... Um, eat my flesh and drink my blood, and people are turning away because that was a hard saying. What he's saying there is full participation in who I am and what I'm about. He puts it differently in Luke chapter 9, famous verses of starting verse 23. And he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, die, and follow me. Forever wants to lose his life, we'll, 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 we'll find it. And, and whoever uh, would, 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 you know, Uh, save his life, will will lose it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his very soul? And so the, the offer is free. Salvation is free. Following Christ is free. And yet, even though it's a free gift, when we receive this free gift, then our lives are turned over to him. Now, who is he? Maybe you say like Tanner to deny myself every day, to give up my own desires that I really, you know, kind of sometimes want and that are contrary to what God wants for me. That's hard. I get it. Okay, but, but, it, but, it, but here's, the, here's the reward. Here's the motivation. We are following the Messiah, the Son of God, the King of Israel, the Son of Man. These are the descriptors. When people encounter who Christ is, we found the Messiah. You are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus then says himself that he is the Son of Man. And so uh, I'm kind of running out of time to to break all of these down. Just let me kind of, let me just kind of, we'll come back to these things as we go through the Gospel of John. Just let me just kind of hit you with this one kind of amazing uh, statement from, from Jesus at the end. Okay, there was a, He's had this conversation with Nathaniel, you remember? Hey, I saw you under the fig tree. Who sees people that, that no one else sees? Okay, that would be the Son of God, all right? So this is like Nathaniel, Son of God, King of Israel. This is why you saw me when no one else saw me. I didn't even think anyone was around. You couldn't have been there, but now you see me. You must be the Son of God. Everybody track with me. I know I'm talking fast. Yeah, good. All right. So, so, 
So Nathaniel makes this confession, and then, and then Jesus says, oh, you believe because I said I saw you under the fig tree? I mean, Jesus is basically like, big deal. Big, 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 he, listen, you will see greater things than these, and, and, and something like this. Look at verse 51. Truly, truly. Okay, this is the first truly, truly statement in the Gospel of John. We're going to see it again and again. Amen and amen. Truth, this is the very truth. This is what's true. You will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, this is so deep, all right? Jesus saying this is, is doing like, he's a crazy wise teacher, right? And this is just, if he's the Son of God, we should expect it, right? So, so Jesus is going back to Genesis 28, where Jacob, also named Israel by God, the father of, of Israel, 12 tribes, a whole deal, okay, has this dream where the angels are ascending and descending from heaven to earth and back again. And so Jacob names that place Bethel, which means house of God, where the presence of God unfolds. And so Jesus here in John 151 is saying, look, I am the true and greater Israel. I am the true and greater Bethel. I am the true and greater presence of God in your midst, dwelling among you, revealing the very glory of God to you. Greater things than these uh, you, you will see. And you'll see them in the signs. You'll see them when I turn water into wine next week. And you'll see them when I feed 5,000 people. And when I walk on water. And when I raise the dead. And when I die for you. And when I rise again from the dead. You will see greater things than these. And so what I love. I I never really. I never really. This is what happens when you study. By the way. It's good. Um, I never really saw how deep chapter 1 is. How, How John chapter 1 like propels, it's like a launching pad into the rest of the gospel of John. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as the one and only from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so John wrote his gospel so that we would see Christ, behold Christ, and believe in him and find life in him as a result of that seeing. But what we have to see is the glory of Christ in his person, in his teaching, in his work. The gospel of John is basically one kind of tour, if you will, of the glory of Christ. Everything he did, everything he said, is all pointing to his brilliance. He is unlike any other. No other is the son of God. No other is the king of Israel. No other is the Messiah. No other is the son of man who, go read Daniel chapter 7, is the authoritative one, dominion forever. No one touches him. He is on the throne. And this is the one that Tanner Turley gets to follow him. And so do you, if you choose. Let's pray. God, we thank you. God, we thank you for your word. It's rich, it's deep, it's true. And Lord, I understand that, that we're all in different places in life. Lord, I understand that, that some of us just needed a, a, a bit of encouragement today for the circumstances that are swirling around us. And, and God, it's, it's amazing how your answer is really always the same. It's just help, helping us see a greater glimpse of who you are. 
So, Lord, would you reveal yourself to us in in our doubts, in our uh, despair, Lord, uh, if we're kind of new to um, Christ and and we're we're considering, Lord, I pray that you would continue to help people explore Jesus, even as we walk through the Gospel of John. Lord, we need you to do what only you can do, Lord. we, We can't change our own hearts. We can't change the hearts of people that we care about, Lord, our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers, who we want to point to you. So, Lord, would you just equip us? Use us each day, imperfect people, as followers of the King, as followers of the Son of God, Son of Man. We want to, to honor you in how we live and how we interact with others how we point them to you. So God, help us to do it. Lord, 35 people is nothing for you. It's nothing. It's light work. God, we want to see.